It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, June 30th, 2021, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Good evening, I'm Kelly Reese. Up ahead on the California Report, this morning, Biden met virtually with governors from western states to assure them of federal support for wildfires and drought conditions. Then, an update on this year's largest California wildfire, the Lava Fire. They closed tonight with a discussion on the increasing disenchantment over the state's delayed high-speed rail project. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before Dr. Anthony Leiserwitz hosts a discussion on green jobs in today's Climate Connections. We close tonight with a commentary from Chaplain Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Meeting virtually with governors from across the Western United States this morning, including California Governor Gavin Newsom, President Biden is assuring states that they'll have support from the federal government when it comes to wildfires and the drought. And the president announced plans to boost pay for federal firefighters. Last week, I learned that some of our federal firefighters are being paid less than $13 an hour. Come on, man, this is, that's unacceptable to me. And I immediately directed my team to take decisive action to fix it. So today we're announcing what I still think is not enough. This year we're gonna provide retention incentives that's gonna ensure federal wildland fires, our firefighters are making at least $15 an hour and provide for additional 10% bonuses for those working on the front lines. But pay is just one of the reasons there's been a major staffing shortage, as firefighters have been seeking other jobs with better pay and more stable hours. Reva Duncan recently retired from the U.S. Forest Service and is now helping a firefighter advocacy group, the Grassroots Wildland Firefighters. She spoke earlier this year with the California Report. This isn't just happening right now. It's been happening for years. And I think our frustrations are, I believe the agencies kind of just hoping things would get better with no plan, no proactive actions in place. Along with increased pay, Grassroots Wildland Firefighters has been pushing for better mental health services and to turn seasonal firefighting jobs into full-time positions. And staying with wildfires, an investigation from CAP Radio and the California Newsroom Collaboration has found that Governor Newsom delayed an ambitious wildfire prevention plan set by his predecessor. The revelation also comes as Newsom delivered only a fraction of the money promised for wildfire resilience in the state budget. CAP Radio's Scott Rod has the details. Last month, Newsom descended on a press conference near Sacramento in a Cal Fire helicopter ready to deliver a bold promise. We are doubling our historic wildfire budget uh, from the $1 billion we proposed in January to now a $2 billion proposal that was submitted to the, um, to the legislature just last week. The announcement garnered lots of headlines, but there's a gulf between what was promised and what was actually delivered. Hundreds of millions of dollars were earmarked for emergency spending unrelated to fires. There was over $700 million in new spending for fire prevention, but only about $450 million made it into the final budget this week. And there's a simple reason. Cal Fire can't spend all that money in one year. Because not enough fire prevention projects, like forest thinning and prescribed burns, are shovel-ready. This was confirmed by multiple administration officials. Here's Wade Crowfoot, Secretary of the Natural Resources Agency. With this quantum leap of investment that the state is making, there's a question of just you know how much 
funding can be spent how quickly. The money for fire prevention is an increase from previous years, and some unspent funds have been set aside for next year's budget. Still, experts say California needs to ramp up its ability to do this work in order to hit its ambitious goal, treating 500,000 acres every year. Our investigation found Newsom has already delayed the deadline. Former Governor Jerry Brown issued an executive order to hit the target by 2023. Newsom pushed it back to 2025. Republican Assemblyman James Gallagher, a frequent Newsom critic, expressed frustration when he learned about the delay. It's another example of how the Newsom administration isn't, isn't treating this issue with the urgency that I think is needed. Gallagher is among a bipartisan group of lawmakers who say they will push for increased and sustained funding to hit the state's lofty fire prevention goals. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Meanwhile, in Siskiyou County in far northern California, more than 900 firefighters are fighting the lava fire, the state's largest wildfire so far this year. The blaze has scorched more than 17,500 acres near Mount Shasta. It's also forced the evacuation of thousands of local residents. The fire was sparked by lightning and then exploded in size because of high winds. A fire official apologized earlier this week, saying crews thought the fire was extinguished Friday, but it reignited in the heat and grew. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Peck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Ever since voters passed a $10 billion bond measure to build a high-speed rail between Los Angeles and San Francisco, the project has been plagued with so many problems. And as KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer reports, voters' doubts about the project are growing. In the 13 years since voters approved Proposition 1A, the high-speed rail project has been mired in lawsuits, local opposition, mismanagement, and massive cost overruns. The record $263 billion state budget approved this week by the state legislature left out $4 billion requested by Governor Gavin Newsom to finish building the segment between Merced and Bakersfield, possibly signaling that Democratic lawmakers are losing patience with the project. State Senator Steve Glazer from the East Bay, who once supported high-speed rail, says it's time to face reality. We had a good vision. It's just not going to come to fruition. A recent poll conducted for Assembly Democrats shows voters evenly split between continuing and stopping the project, with Republicans and nonpartisan voters strongly supporting pulling the plug. Glazer worries that if voters lose faith that government can complete major projects like this, that they might be less willing to approve other bond measures. When you have a project that could be a colossal failure, it's going to erode all those other things that we would like to see the voters invest in. That's uh, highways and bridges and school buildings and universities. There's, There's so much more that we need voter confidence and support for. 
It's unclear whether the trillion-dollar infrastructure deal announced by President Biden last week will help fund high-speed rail, and without an infusion of state money requested by the governor, the project looks more in doubt than ever. For The California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. And that is The California Report for Wednesday, June 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Tonight, California News Service speaks to proponents of tomorrow's historic budget bill, which would allow undocumented immigrants, 50 years and older, to receive Medicaid. The California State Assembly is set to approve a budget bill tomorrow that would make California the first state in the nation to expand Medicaid health coverage to people age 50 and over who qualify regardless of their immigration status. The expansion would allocate up to $1.3 billion for the program. Jose Torres Casillas is a legislative analyst with the advocacy group Health Access, which spearheaded the Health for All campaign along with the California Immigrant Policy Center. He predicts it will reduce suffering for many Californians. This is a groundbreaking thing. It'd be beginning May 1st, 2022. Rough estimates give it about 235000 that would be newly eligible for the benefit. Opponents of the change argue taxpayer dollars would be better spent directly on U.S. citizens, but advocates of the expansion counter that the state already pays when undocumented folks end up in the emergency room, so it's more efficient to provide comprehensive preventive care. Jonathan Gutierrez is an immigration advocate from Santa Ana who says his undocumented parents have had to forego medical care for chronic conditions like diabetes. Sometimes we'll put aside our health problems because we are worried about the hospital bill or we don't have money for medicine at the moment. Cynthia Buisa with the California Immigrant Policy Center says undocumented essential workers were some of the real heroes of the pandemic, yet they were only eligible for emergency health care. Now is our opportunity to envision and create a state where everyone has a chance to thrive. In the past few years, California extended Medi-Cal to undocumented children and then to undocumented young adults. State Senator Maria Elena Durazo says adding people over age 50 to the program is an important step toward universal health care. This inclusion is not the end. This has been and always will be a health for all campaign. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Evacuations are being ordered as a new wildfire burns north of Redding. The Salt Fire has burned 200 acres and is at 0% containment. U.S. Forest Service officials report the blaze is progressing north. Police are currently investigating a spree of graffiti taggings in downtown Grass Valley. According to the union, Grass Valley PD discovered roughly 15 taggings earlier this morning around Mill and South Auburn Street. The graffiti was found on the exterior walls and windows of four different businesses, as well as the butterfly wing art displays, public signage, trash cans, and bus stop. Authorities are reviewing surveillance of the downtown area. The Penn Valley Library has joined a select group of libraries nationwide that will now allow patrons access without staff present. Starting tomorrow, July 1st, the library will employ the Open Plus Access System, which will add an additional 14 hours of operation weekly. Patrons can utilize the Open Plus Access system by registering online and then using their library card and PIN number to gain entry during selected hours. Security cameras will monitor patrons' use of the library, which will include access to catalog computers, public computers, printing, copying, self-serve checkout, and holds pickup. 
The Nevada County Public Health Department announced its plan to reduce hours at the Whispering Pines COVID vaccination clinic beginning in July. The clinic will still remain open. However, Public Health Director Jill Blake recommends checking hours of operation online. Whispering Pines is currently the only clinic in Nevada County providing Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson vaccinations. Blake said the Public Health Department is placing more focus on reaching out to those who may not have the time, resources, or ability to make it out to the clinic. The Public Health Reach team will be providing pop-up clinics in hard-to-reach communities and in-home vaccinations for those unable to leave the house. At around 5 a.m. this morning, Bistro 221 owner Melissa Bryant and Alan Aragon woke to noises in their home. Upon entry into their kitchen, the couple found a bear foraging in their freezer and pantry. The bear ate for around 20 minutes and exited via a torn screen door, the only damage the bear caused to the property. Pack away those tiki torches and fire pits. The Sierra County Board of Supervisors has unanimously banned all open flame fires on all private property and public lands not under state or federal jurisdiction. The urgency ordinance goes into effect immediately and will be reviewed monthly. Reported hate crimes in California reached their highest levels in over a decade this last year, according to a new report from California Attorney General Rob Bonta. As stated in the San Francisco Chronicle, the report showed race-based hate crimes drove the surge. Overall, reported hate crime events increased 31%. Bonta said a significant part of that was an increase in anti-Asian violence during the pandemic. PG&E asked state regulators today for a rate hike totaling $3.6 billion starting in 2023, writes the Sacramento Bee. If the hike is granted in full, the average residential bill would increase $36 a month. However, the Public Utilities Commission typically accepts only a portion of rate hike requests. PG&E spokeswoman Lindsay Paulo said half of the rate increase would be devoted to wildfire safety. And now for regional weather. The National Weather Service reports isolated mountain thunderstorms in the Sierras this week as the heat continues. Conditions will remain extremely dry and warm through the holiday weekend. In Grass Valley in Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 63. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 90. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 52. Tomorrow will be sunny, then a chance of showers with a high near 83. The National Weather Service warns of the possibility of strong winds over 50 miles per hour, small hail, and heavy rain may accompany the thunderstorms in the Truckee and Lake Tahoe area. In Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, increasing clouds with a low around 60. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 90. Up next, Climate Connection speaks to Jason Walsh about green jobs in historically fossil fuel-dominated regions. Walsh is the executive director of the Blue-Green Alliance, a nonprofit which focuses on labor and the environment. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Action to reduce global warming could create a lot of new jobs, from wind and solar farm construction to green building and electric vehicle manufacturing. Jason Walsh is executive director of the Blue-Green Alliance, a nonprofit that works on environmental and labor issues. The challenge is going to be making sure that as we make this transition, 
Those jobs are created in all parts of the country, including in parts of the country that are losing fossil fuel jobs. He says governments can help. For example, a proposed federal tax credit would reward companies for locating facilities in areas that have lost coal jobs. We're also going to need to address job quality. Clean energy jobs on average pay less than fossil energy jobs on average. He says that's partly a result of strong unions in the fossil fuel industry. So his group advocates for increasing the role of unions in clean energy. And it calls for training programs to help local residents qualify for new jobs. Walsh says he's hopeful that, with planning and coordination, the country can build a clean energy economy that supports workers with good-paying jobs. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. We close tonight with a special commentary by military and healthcare chaplain Norris Burks. As chaplain, Burke served with both active duty Air Force and the Air National Guard in posts as diverse as Turkey, Iraq, and Panama until his retirement in 2014. Hey, I'd like to propose an idea. Instead of limiting our independence celebration to a single day, I'd like to suggest we designate all of July as Freedom Month. So given that inspiration, I'll be presenting three freedom commentaries during July, beginning with this one. I call this the case of the stolen freedoms. And with that full disclosure, today's broadcast will make liberal exaggeration of some of my recent conversations. Chaplin began a frantic listener. I want to report a theft. Well, no, he didn't exactly say that, but his email definitely sought to account for the missing freedoms. I wasn't sure how a chaplain could help him recover those missing freedoms, and I considered reciting that commonly recorded message If you want to report an emergency, please hang up and dial 911. Nevertheless, I promised I'd begin an immediate investigation by asking two journalistic questions. Who and what? Who has taken away your freedoms, I asked. Now, every time I ask that question, I get nearly the same answer. The government, he said. Oh, I should have known. Those pencil-whipping, Lilliputian rapscallions, they are always trying to steal something or tapping my phone or squelching those UFO reports. Then I posed my second question. What freedom did they steal? Well, they're trying to take my guns, he said. Now, I'm not a gun owner myself, so... I didn't have any business suggesting maybe common sense regulation like registration, waiting periods, background checks for private sales and gun show sales. I didn't say any of that. Instead, I fired a follow-up question, point blank. But has the government actually taken your personal firearm? His silence seemed to assert his Fifth Amendment right over his Second Amendment rights. He never had a gun confiscated, I don't think, unless, of course, he was writing me from prison. But anyway, in another case, when a neighbor voiced a similar complaint about freedom losses, I repeated my question. Well, what exactly have you lost? I've been denied my right to breathe, she answered, overstating the mask mandate. Yeah, I get it. I hate surgical masks, too. They are such a pesky detail, especially pre-COVID when my chaplain duties sent me to visit double lung transplants or premature babies. Well, I did it anyway. My guess, though, is that 
It wasn't the mask that bothered her. It was the other M word. Mandate. Yes, we temporarily lost some of our freedoms, but the last time I checked, the U.S. wasn't alone in suspending those freedoms. The entire world lives under masking restrictions. In the U.S., we remain the least restrictive. So I keep pressing, folks. What? What is it that you have personally lost? Name it. Chaplain, you of all people should know, said one pastor. We've lost our freedom of worship. Again, temporary is the operative word. Even so, many churches responded with innovative answers. During the worst of the lockdowns, I maintain that freedom of worship wasn't threatened as long as restrictions were applied equally among all public gatherings. In other words, if the Rotary Club wasn't meeting in person, then it was pretty fair to restrict the meetings of religious assemblies. Gratefully, vaccinations are steering our lives back to normal. We return to our religious gatherings and will soon resume those 4th of July fireworks. Fortunately, American freedoms are resilient little boogers. Uh, to paraphrase a military reply, All freedoms present and accounted for, sir, ma'am. Even Dr. Fauci concurs. He has publicly proclaimed that fully vaccinated people are free to do whatever they like on July 4th. But seriously, Dr. Fauci, really? I once again have the freedom to do anything? Because if that's true, I'm thinking of calling up Nicolas Cage, and I'm going to ask him if he wants to reprise his role in the 2004 Walt Disney picture film National Treasure. Come on, Nick. Let's do it. Let's steal the Declaration of Independence. These days, I know a few folks who really need to read it. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. We get support from Sierra Derm, Center for Dermatology, specializing in general and cosmetic dermatology, skin cancer detection, and skin cancer removal for over 17 years. Located across from Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, Grass Valley. New patient openings available. Information at sierraderm.com. And Green Acres Nursery and Supply at Isley's a full-service nursery in Auburn since 1932, now part of the Green Acres family, offering generations of garden know-how and products for landscapes in low-water years. IDigGreenAcres.com Stay tuned! Coming up next at 6.30, we have The Sages Among Us. Then, at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. Stay cool out there. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.